1: Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host Brett Gilliland. Today I've got Tim jazano uh, How you doing, Tim? I'm doing excellent, Brett. How are you today, my friend? I am doing well, man. It is uh, good to be with you. I got uh, introduced to you of all things on TikTok. My uh, my kids got me on TikTok. I don't know anything about TikTok. I'm still learning it, as we probably all are in our uh, age group, our, our d- demographics, right? But then my my buddy from college, my roommate. Guy was in my wedding. Ryan Gottner sends me a message, sends me your profile. I was like, dude, you got to watch this guy. You guys have a lot in common. So, and now here we are. It's the,
0: it's the magic of TikTok. And for the record, I I'd like to say that I don't quite know what I'm doing there either. Just started somewhat on a whim and, you know, next thing I know, I'm having a conversation with you. So, you know, the world is a good place.
1: The world is a good place. You are in New York city. I think just to your right, my left is uh, probably all the tall buildings out there. And, I get to uh, see
0: all the, uh, all the redwoods and the pines here in lovely Manhattan, which are the 40 plus story and 115. I think that one is that's uh, basically just outside my window here. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm in a five story building, and I, uh, I think it's a five story hospital right there, and then that's about it. Uh, so we're we're all good, man. So why don't you uh, maybe give uh, our listeners a little bit of the background, who Tim is, and uh, what's made you the man you are today? You uh, you you know you work with, you lead 240 employees. You're a creative, creative executive at a Fortune 100 company there in New York, and so uh, you don't just wake up and get to do that. But uh, but here you are, man. I, you don't just get to wake up and do that. Sometimes I feel like that's what happened
0: because of how fast things can go. And sometimes actually giggle in meetings. I'm like, I can't believe anybody's taking me seriously now. Like, aren't I still the guy who's working 4 part-time jobs at the same time to even (laughs) try to get my foot in the door to begin with. Um, But that's kind of what makes it fun. So I started my career with ABC sports back in 2000. Really coming out of school, I was doing a little bit of production work. I was doing a little bit of work for a not-for-profit company to try to get some quote-unquote marketing experience, which I was really just kind of um, getting any experience underneath my belt, as everybody does once they get out of school. I was a substitute teacher, really just doing anything I could get my hands on. Uh, Did that for a couple of years, finally got a break with ABC Sports to be one of their production associates, production assistants for their college football uh, seasonal agreements. Basically, they bring in like 16, 20 kids and say, hey, here's a college football crew that you get aligned with. You do all the logistics work. You do some of the on-air graphics work too, the score bug, right, the thing that's got the clock and the game score. So really rudimentary stuff from a live TV perspective, but that's where – that's where it all began, so to speak. I was one of just a couple that they ended up keeping after that first season, and worked with their PGA golf crew. Did that for about five years. Uh, loved it. Loved the space. Being live sports production was a really, really, really fun. Especially, you know, one of your first real jobs out of school, working on the PGA golf crew for ABC sports, you're basically chasing the summer around the globe, right? You know, yes. you started in January in Palm Springs by the summertime, you're back in the Northeast in the fall, you're in, you know, Vegas and in Florida. Um, and it was great, but it was a lot of travel. It was 36 weeks a year. Um, but I cut my teeth very quickly relative to pressure and communication and all that kind of good stuff, because you cannot mess up on air, you have to be an exploit, you know, a, an ex- extraordinarily well-versed communicator, so to speak, because you got eight you know, voices in your head while you're on air and you need to be like really, especially golf golf, you think is kind of the sport that you put on and you take a nap to, hmm. but on the other side of it, it's actually like producing eight football games at the same time because everybody's playing yeah. at different paces. Right. And got married when I was uh, 27. And right after that, I'm like, I cannot be on the road for 36 weeks a year and try to have a reasonable marriage. So what do I do next? I managed to luckily pivot my career to ESPN and their marketing team. I had no marketing background, but basically followed a popcorn trail of where do all these sponsorships come from? Like I get the paperwork that says, Tim, make sure that you're not forgetting about the shot of the day brought to you by AstraZeneca or, you know, Buick's flashback type of stuff. But where does that actually come from? Like I, I need to get to the business side of things. Now I'm 27 years old. I just got married. I can't live this kind of vagabond life on the road as much as it's as much as I love it. And as fun as it is, how do I pivot? Figured out a way to kind of sell myself in is a, you teach me the marketing. I'll teach you guys the production side because I saw this big divide where sales wanted to sell everything, production didn't want to do they're like, just leave us alone and let us do the telecast. I was like, I'll be the in-house diplomat. I was raised mm-hmm. in the production side. I understand the business side. I know I have good ideas. I can be that conduit. And that and that worked. Um spent seven years with ESPN, worked on everything outside of their college sports stuff. So sports center. NASCAR when they had it, IRL, PGA again, NFL, um, NBA, ESPYs, like you, you name it. And you I probably it, touched did it. it at some point. Yeah. And, and again, it was for all of those sponsorships. So Toyota halftime show and starting lineups brought to you by, we were the in-house team that helped figure out, all right, IBM wants to spend X amount of dollars. NFL is a good spot for them. Let's work with a production team and come up with what is the great idea that's going to really reel them in to spend all their dollars on sponsoring Sunday NFL countdown. Hmm. Did that for five, did that for seven years. And then one day I was walking down Columbus Avenue and I got an email from an old boss that said, Hey, I'm landed at a place called Time Warner Cable Media. And we need somebody with a production background that's willing to, you know, take on a task that probably not a lot of of other people are willing to be taking on. Uh, And, you know, I was like, Ooh, it's a vice president job. I could be a vice president by the age of 35 at a big company. Like that sounds cool. Chased it down. And the role that I'm in now is that was that role, you know, companies have changed through uh, mergers and acquisitions. But um, basically what I was tasked with doing was taking local production for local cable advertising and creating a basically a center of excellence and having what was at the time a 100-person team, pulling that all together so it wasn't like little one-offs and tiny little offices or even big offices like New York and LA. How do you take all of those production people out there that are now doing creative for small businesses for the purpose of getting those small businesses on TV, how do you make that truly a center of excellence again, so that best practices are shared, et cetera. So we are the reason if you're watching, if you're watching, um, you know, NBA on ESPN tonight, and it goes from a Coors light commercial to, you know, your local Bob's Toyota, we are, we are the creative agency behind the local Bob's Toyota, right? Those are all sold locally by usually by cable entities, that are selling the airtime, but those, those businesses don't have creative agencies. So a lot of people are like, wait a minute, you're leaving ESPN to go do what? Um, but I'm, you know, I'm as a passionate New Yorker, you would think the opposite that I'm all about big business and all that kind of stuff. But New York is really just a series of tiny little neighborhoods that are all kind of on top of each other. So I love the idea of what I've learned for, the biggest brands in the world, you know, what are the best practices of IBM and American express and Toyota and Verizon relative to their branding and their creative initiatives. And can I apply that at scale to small businesses and take on a large team and kind of reinvent how that space works. And now I've been doing this for, for nine years, the team through all kinds of different trials and tribulations, uh, they would take much longer than probably we have time today to discuss. Uh, is now a 240-person creative team, um, and it's an absolute privilege to do what I
1: do. That's awesome, man. Well, that's that's a heck of a run. That's a heck of a run. I like it. I like it. Thanks for sharing. So, what are you learning from the the? I think you called it Bob's Tires. You know, whatever we want to call it today. What what are you what are you learning that they can do in today's world with social media? You know, audio, video, podcasts. You know, whatever it may be, what are you learning that those people can do that the big boys and girls are doing as well?
0: I would say, I mean, it really starts with probably the answer that no one's going to expect, which is storytelling. Mm. Right. I mean, and what I, think the, what I think local businesses have that no other brand really has is a true person, people first story. Like, what does that business actually mean to the local community? Who are they? How did they open? Why did they open? What is it like when people walk in and people recognize each other's names? Like that's really powerful stuff and bringing that to life is truly unique for them. The rest of it is somewhat formulaic to a certain extent, right? Like how do you have an overarching brand message that then can expand into other places so that there's, you know, strategic uh, cohesion between a message that's on social with a message that's on TV um, and I actually I spend I spend most of my time on the people management side of things, so I stand by the answer that I just gave because I think that that's that's really the the secret sauce is the storytelling and at least having some sort of rigor or approach. But if it's authentic, if it tells a good story, and there's obviously just kind of the overarching need of can you get people's attention and do they know what to do after you've gotten their attention. You know, that's all kind of marketing 101. Um, but on a day in and day out basis, part of the privilege of having a 240-person team is I rely on my creative experts to do that work. I actually have very little interaction with our clients on a day-in and day out basis. A vast majority of what I do is simply how do I set up my team in the best way humanly possible so that they can do the best work for our clients. And then at the end of the day, the people on my team get to go home and say, today was a good day because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, like if you're doing that, then you're probably checking a lot of boxes and then KPIs, you know, goals, Kagers, all that kind of good stuff like that, just those things start to take care of themselves a lot easier um, you know, when you base leadership on that type of mentality.
1: Yeah. And so let's stay on that for a second. So you working with 240 people and and you're in probably like, I am a lot. You're in back to back to back to back meetings. Uh, I mean, so what are your KPIs? Those that don't know key performance indicators, I call them RPAs, revenue producing activities. Like what are those things for you that you can focus on every single day to make sure you can go home to your wife and kids and say, you know what? I had a damn good day. Yeah.
0: So on a, a great question. So on an ongoing basis, what we really look at the most is how, how are we supporting our company, right? So our, our individual projects are not, you know, they're important, but it's what is it supporting client wise? There's only a finite amount of resources that we have. I mean, this is a, this is a really big place, really big place at scale. And, I don't have the type of resources to be able to facilitate every single client that walks in the door. So are we, are we touching the right kind of business? Uh, Is the, is the juice always worth the squeeze, so to speak, right? It's very, especially when you're doing stuff at scale, it is very easy to fall into the pitfalls of over-servicing where you should not be over-servicing. And how do you truly set up a system so that, you are putting the best resources that you have towards the places that are helping out the company the most based on what their overarching superordinate goals may be. And then how are you then solving for the other things at scale with technology, with better process, with better communication, et cetera. So, um, you know, short of getting into anything that might be a little uh, awkward from just kind of like a general, you know, business perspective, I really, From a a KPI sense of things, how much core core revenue can I, can me and my team help support? You know, are are we tying back to, and are we being explicit with what we are doing and how that ladders back up to the overall company objectives on a day in and day out and obviously annual basis? And then how can I specifically measure what type of resources are being applied to what type of revenue? and making sure that that's just calibrated in a really smart way so that we are never again, over-servicing where we should not be because that's the easiest way to either burn things out, abuse resources, or be in a position where it's like, well, this isn't being managed very well. Like we're spending all of this money to do, to do what? So if you can, if you can really make sure that you're crystal clear on what is going to have the biggest type of impact and then measure that as explicitly as possible, you know that those are the things that I'm, and i We've got a really, we've got a really good trajectory of being able to say, you know, previously on a per person basis, like these were the things that we could see, you know, and then now be able to see that kind of like, you know, take a nice little hockey stick type of uh, type type of graph relative to, all right, if this is if this is what's really going to ha- you know help the company, put in some rigors, put in some good process, and see the, you know, see the ROI and a you know, per project basis, so to speak, start to, you know, really jump off the charts. Yeah. yeah.
1: That measurement's the key thing too, isn't it? I mean, you can have every great idea in the world, but if you don't measure it, you don't follow up, you don't have that yep. agenda. It's like going to fall on deaf ears, isn't it?
0: I, I, t- I talk a lot about data. I actually kind of like the fact that at the end of the day, you could pull back anything from me relative to creative, and I could have a conversation. I could pretend this entire conversation was Hey, my name's Tim and I work at a cardboard making factory and I can give you really specific KPIs relative to these things and talk about very similar business objectives at scale, because you're, you're right. It really doesn't matter what the product is. If you can get really smart with the numbers, you know, and this is where it's been fun from a corporate America perspective, so to speak, to, to, to get into that back of the baseball card type of conversation, Right. Cause you can have, you can, you can have uh, all of these subjective conversations about, you know, who's the best team, who's the best, you know, second baseman of all time, all that kind of good stuff. But you get into the data, you get into the facts and figures, you know, and then you can start to look at running a business, almost like fantasy football to a certain extent where it's like, I'm just looking to rack up the points in a really smart way. You know, obviously while building a good culture and a good foundation where people are excited about the work and they understand the vision and, and the objectives, but um, you get, you get dialed in with the numbers in a, in a good way. And especially when it's reliable and consistent data, and it's actually a really fun side of the job.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you do? Cause I know, again, go back to you, you lead 240 employees, family, um, you know, traveling in the city to and from, you know, to, to, uh, for work, w- what do you do to stay in the moment? Um, uh, but also your routines because I know you get up really, really freaking early. <laughs> and, uh, but what do you do from a routine for peak performance?
0: Uh, I, I make sure that I stay on routine. I mean, I, you know, as you noted, I get a bit, I get up at 4am seven days a week. And that time in the morning is, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom doing what I do. And it's not even necessarily the hours of the day. It's the peacefulness between four and say seven yeah. that I get. And I break all the rules in regards to don't look at your screen right away. Don't check email out of the gate, you know, drink water with lemon in it. You know, no, I have, you know, <laughs> have a decent cup of caffeine. And then I sit down and I just simply think about what do I need to do in 15 minute increments between now and whatever my first meeting is to be set up for, for a really solid day, you know, really simple things like putting my clothes out the night before you know, all that kind of good stuff. But I really looked to, like, I was a C student. I'm not, yeah. like, there There was nothing, there was nothing about me or my background that was like, oh, yeah, this guy's totally going to do blank, blank, and blank. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. I could have very easily been the person that sits in the corner that's like, when is this meeting going to be over? I want to participate as little as possible and just call it a day, yeah. you know, and go home and watch, you know, reruns of whatever. And God, you know, God bless it, you know, everyone does their own thing. And that's, I'm not, I would never tell anybody to do do anything other than what makes them happy. Um, But for me, it's, it is all about routine. It's about consistency. And it's because I love my days. Like I really do. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I love the, I love getting up. I love the fact that my time helps the people on my team, making sure that every, I get back to everybody. If someone's like, Hey, I just did this great project. Like I want you to check it out. I want to have, I want to have time to actually digest that. I don't want to be the guy that sends the somewhat obligatory. Oh, this was great. Thanks for sharing. But did you actually like digest it? And almost to a, probably to a jarring degree on the other side, I might have questions in return of like, okay, cool. Like, you know, tell me a little bit about blank, blank and blank. Mm. So.
1: So That's your connection time. That, That four to seven really for you is to connect with your, with your team.
0: It's for me to connect with my team. It's mapping out the day. It's especially trying to do content, pers- you know, content for personal reasons at scale that, you know, that's time where I might sneak in a voiceover or do a little bit of editing as well. But I, I will literally look at it in 15 minute windows, four to 15, four to four fifteen is get my butt downstairs, you know, drink a, I usually drink pre-workout right out of the gate because I work out seven days a week. Um, then, sit down, go through my calendar, what emails that I not respond to that I need to respond to what's sitting in my drafts. You know, is there anything that's kind of teed up that day? I'm a big fan of putting together agendas for big meetings, even if I'm not necessarily leading the meeting, so to speak, you know, I mm-hmm. just to, yeah. for, in the, in the sake of like trying to keep people on the same page, I'm happy to say, Hey, here's some, some, some suggested topics that we go through today. Cause I'm a firm believer in transparency and just putting things on the table and then sorting through them. If you're really there just to do good business, um, you know, I'll do those types of things. And then by four I'm probably making a gut decision of, do I need more time for work? Do I have 15 minutes to spare to make content? Like what else do I need to do? I go for about a two mile walk sometime between five and five 30. And that's my peace of mind time. You know, sometimes I'll use it, especially now, like I'm shocked. I'm absolutely flabbergasted that I have the type of following that I now have, which is certainly not a record by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's more responsibility, right? It's comments that need to be responded to. It's a community that needs to be engaged with. It's more direct messages in Instagram than I could have ever fathomed ever getting. And to take the time to try to respond and to try to be appreciative of the fact that people will take my content and, you know, repost it and tell other people to go follow me and like that type of stuff. So I'll use the walk for peace of mind and to respond to DMS and that kind of good stuff. Have a couple of friends that I see in the street corner every morning that I say, Hey, good morning. And they're just kind of like the old Brooklyn stalwarts that sit in front of the bodega, um, you know, as it mm. opens at five thirty in the morning go get a good or at least a decent workout in make sure I'm home in time. So I can spend at least some of the morning with my wife and my daughter for, a, you know, making a waffle, whatever is required. Maybe I'm doing school drop off that day, uh, and then get my butt here so that I am at least a handful of minutes here before my first call to fill a glass of water and get a cup of tea and then, you know, get, uh, get ready to be thoughtful and, you know, in high speed all
1: day long. Get the work boots on and then you go home at night and then uh, spending family time. And then before, you know, bedtime and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, dinner it's, I actually have an alarm set in my calendar for five forty-five that says, uh, it's called T W you know, LB or something like that, which basically means Tim work-life balance. And the reminder actually says, just go home. You're going to log back on later. Anyway, it's kind of like <laughs> a consistent reminder to myself of like, yeah, you know, be, be smart about my time. And there's, a, there's a lot of days where I will have five 30 or six o'clock meetings, but making sure that I am out of here consistently so that I'm home with for dinner with my wife and daughter by seven o'clock at the latest, uh, is critical. And then that time with them between seven and say eight, eight thirty, Um, and then where I'm, I'm really able to then add additional time to do everything that I want to do is I don't watch TV. Yeah. So, You know, if my wife wants to enjoy a show or do, you know, have some of her time as well, um, that's when I'll put the laptop back out, do some of the similar things that I did in the morning, maybe a little bit of content. Maybe I'll do TikTok live for a half hour just to answer questions and try to engage the community. Um, And then I make sure that I'm asleep no later than 10 o'clock because I think anything less than five and a half, six hours of sleep. And then I start to, you know, not be at my best. And if I'm fortunate enough, I wake up again the next morning and uh, I feel good getting out of bed and I get to do it all over again.
1: And again, I just go back to that. When I ask you routine for peak performance, the answer is routine. I mean, I I think of that too. I have a journal I use every single day. And for me, it's, it's the same thing over and over. Right. And you do that over a 20 year career you can wake up and have some success, right? But it's yeah. showing up every single day, getting it done, whether you want to do it or not, whether it's going to be, a, you know, 10 inches of snow here, supposedly this week, you still got to get up and do it even when you don't want to.
0: I, but that, see, that's, that's, I do a thousand percent agree, but that, that's why, that's why I enjoyed as much as I do, because especially in those instances, like Saturday morning, it was, it was literally, it feels like zero out here in New York. Yeah. And we had this big snowstorm that it was, or maybe it was Sunday morning. The snowstorm had already come. It was zero degrees out because it, fr- it froze even further overnight. And to put on and a couple extra layers and then to go for a two-mile, three-mile walk down to the Brooklyn Promenade and sit there on the bench and watch the sunrise over Oof. the Manha- skyline of Manhattan was amazing. And really all that was was just my routine, but my routine my way, right? I think that right. people people don't see that there is a venn diagram between your pure happiness and routine my routine is not entirely but largely predicated on the fact that i i love that day like the day that i just described like that is fantastic if the the more often i can do this and especially when you include some of the things that we didn't discuss like you know which night are we eating fish tacos like right. picking up sushi from my favorite takeout place On 47th and 8th Avenue, you know, I love riding the subway. Like I am fascinated by all of the nuances in the day in and day out. In fact, like one of my latest elements within TikTok, partly because I needed new ways to do content at scale, a piece of video or multiple pieces of video every single day over long periods of time, especially with everything else is not easy to do. And I, so I started doing what I call this book of appreciation. And they're like twenty-second little snippets, and it's about everything. Because I'm like, I'm I'm one of those, I'll, I'll <laughs> I call myself. It's like a happy-go-lucky dumbass to a certain extent, right? <laughs> Where it's like, people are like, you know, the things that other people might complain about. Like I can find that random thing that's like, oh, but it's so cool because of blank. And so this book of appreciation gave me an opportunity to call out these less than you know, picturesque moments and sometimes very picturesque moments and just say, this is why I appreciate this thing or this person or this moment or whatever it might be. But that's, that makes the routine that much more special because, you know, and from what I've learned, mindfulness, a big part of mindfulness is the ability to do whatever you're doing and to consistently absorb more in new things, even if it's the same old walk and I'll do that walk in the same pattern over and over and over again. And there's still things where I'm like, how did I never see that thing on that house? Mm -hmm. Or like, I never noticed that there was a bird's nest there, like that kind of stuff where, where it's almost like, you know, again, kind of like happy go lucky, dumbass guy. But then that for me, that applies throughout the course of an entire day. And then that's really fun. And then that kind of makes all the stress and also like big picture perspective, right? Like for, if you're going to do all of this, in my humble opinion, I think that there's a keen awareness that not everybody gets to do this. And of the 7.7, 7.8 billion people on the planet not a lot of people are going to have a vast majority of the opportunities and experiences that I will ever get for a multitude of reasons. So if I am doing these things, I have to be aware that I am choosing to do these things. And it's not routine for the sake of like, Oh, this is what I need to do to get to where, you know, those types of things. Like, yes, what, where you're going and what your goals or objectives may be obviously need to be part of the fuel for the fire. But it's like, if I get one spin on this planet I'm totally cool with doing these things in this fashion. If I'm able to see the type of output and have the type of experiences, and especially if all of that comes then to full fruition in a paying it forward type of manner, making sure that the people on my team are compensated appropriately, making sure that we have the right culture and values within the company, making sure that our belief system is appropriate, making sure that my daughter has what she needs to, to have good days, which includes as much of my time and attention as possible. So to me, it all becomes like, you know, uh, almost self-fulfilling to a certain extent. Um, and the snowball can just be, you know, more good vibes on good vibes for lack of a better description.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can't help, but think about the circuit of success hence the podcast we're on right here, but the circuits are attitude, your belief system, your actions ultimately get your results. Right? And yep. my thought is if I, if I ask you about your attitude, from what I see, obviously we don't know each other and not hanging out socially, but you got a pretty damn good attitude and you choose that, right? You're getting up at four in the morning when it's zero degrees, you can choose to eh, turn the alarm off, roll over and choose not to get up, but you choose to get up, right? That's a good attitude. Your belief system is pretty darn to your core, right? I mean, like I believe in the water intake. I believe in your sleep. I believe in your exercise. I believe in, even though I don't do a good job about this, what we put in our body, right? Good in, good out. Um, Those things, right? Goal achievement, your journaling, your meditation, all those things are a deep belief system. So if I ask you that, what is your belief system that you know now that maybe you didn't know five or 10 years ago? Uh,
0: That's a great question. Um, I would say it like the core the core beliefs, I think it somewhat depends on how how we're defining beliefs. Like I, I believe I believe my maybe not my sole intention, but a large part of why I'm here on the planet is just to be a good human being. And that's being nice, it's being appreciative, and that's doing what I can to create positive energy around me. I I, I don't I don't know that it gets much more complicated than that. And then therefore, if I'm choosing to do the things that I'm choosing to do from a routine perspective, I find the obligation of if I'm going to do them, then I'm going to do them because they also make me happy. And I I feel like a lot of people fall into the trap of, I do these things and then I will complain about the rigors, or I will say for long periods of time, the job is too stressful, where we all have choices. So I, I believe that part of the part of the beliefs and values comes down to understanding that I am willingly choosing to do all of these things. And yes, some of them are necessary to have the output and the outcome that I would like to have, but these are choices. And if I'm making all of these choices, then I think I would be, you know, part of the language, but I think it'd be a pretty shitty person if I was doing those things and then not being able to, show some sense of pure thankfulness and joy on a consistent basis versus anything else. So the, the routine and the rigor and the beliefs, I think it all just, it simply comes back to happiness over everything else, how much we may or may not be able to understand and control that we do have choices, even in in situations where we think, well, I, I you know, I had no choice. I had to do this. My boss asked me, I had to do this, blah, blah, blah. If I if I wanted to right now, and this is an extreme example, but if I wanted to right now, I could literally take off my microphone, walk away from the computer, get on the elevator, go to JFK, get a plane ticket, and fly to Dubai. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to, but like, you know, I think when you start to understand, especially when, and I've got I've had some really dark periods during my career where I'm like, this is maniacal, like I, I don't know that I can do this much longer, whether it was based off of a boss, a situation, etc. And the thing that I kept coming back to was as long as I am understanding that I have a choice, I may not like some of the choices that I have, but as long as I'm willing to have the deep understanding that I'm choosing to go back and I will be able to have to a certain extent to your point, attitude, attitude is a skill. If I can refine my skill of what my attitude is in the face of these other things and understand that I'm willfully choosing to go back into whatever situation, then I then I better also bring the right perspective to then try to make things better versus I feel like I'm stuck. And yeah. I know that that's way easier said than done, but I firmly believe that you can either self-perpetuate being stuck and like I'm also not going to pretend that I'm a mental health expert by any stretch of the imagination. I know a lot of people deal with some really, really, really serious things that I will never fully be able to understand. So not everybody can just unstick, you know, unstick themselves, so to speak. But I think a lot, I think a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit for how easily how they can understand that they get to choose and that they get to set up their own belief system and that happiness should dictate what you are doing at the forefront. And, you know, if you, if you're, if you're willing to be okay with those variables, then you can have, you can have a lot of fun on a consistent basis. Yep.
1: And I I'm assuming if I were to go back and look at the, cause I think you're in your forties like I am, right? I'm 44. 40. Yeah. I'm 44. Okay. Perfect. So, uh, 1977 by chance. Yep. Boom. Um, so if we could go back to the 30 or the 35 year old Tim and Brett, don't you think we probably would have seen a good attitude then as well, though? Like even when we were on the climb right before where you're at yeah. now, where I'm at now, And I think that's important too, is it's not one of those. Oh, I just woke up and now I can be positive, right? Right. You've got to be positive. You got to have a good attitude. You got to have your belief systems. You got to have your actions, even on the climb, or if you're starting a new business and you're in your fifties, wherever it's at the focus, that's why it's the first one. That attitude is a choice. I truly believe that of wherever you're at in your life, we have to choose the the side that you want to be on. Right. So So that's my thought. So anyway, man, this has been a great conversation. Um, I know you have got a busy, busy day, but where do we find more of Tim? Where, where do we look you up, man? Uh, I can be found on Instagram. I can be found on
0: TikTok. Um, Those are probably my primary vessels for whatever weirdness that I'm putting out there, but always in a positive light with the best of intentions.
1: Absolutely, man. It's awesome. Like I said, I'm glad Ryan Geiner introduced us via Uh, we didn't introduce us. He just said, go follow this guy. And then I sent him a message. He said, get him on the podcast. So he was pumped. We were talking today, man. So keep up the great work. You're doing a huge job here. You're helping people like me and Ryan and St. Louis, and I'm sure people all over the world just uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Really appreciate you uh, being on the circuit of success.
0: Well, I Thank you for having me on, Brett. I really enjoyed the conversation, my friend.